Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning. 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour at Rosie on the House. Your Saturday morning tradition since 1988. Already the first Saturday of the month, this April Fool's Day. But there's no fooling around today with the numbers. Julie Murphy, the spokeswoman for Arizona Farm Bureau, is in studio with a great guest. And I've got my pen ready. I've got my scratch paper ready. I'm... I'm ready for this conversation. Romy, you're going to love this conversation because it's about numbers, and you love numbers, and you always figure out some mathematical application to what we're talking with agriculture. But I'm extremely excited about today's show because Dave DeWalt, our state statistician with the USDA, NAS, and I have to say this slowly because it's a tongue twister, NAS is the National Agricultural Statistics Service, and you're the state statistician for our area. So, Dave, welcome, and we're excited to have you. In so many ways, because of the diversity and importance of agriculture, it's kind of a numbers game. But before we get into that, Dave, talk about your background, and do you have any family history in ag? Yes, uh, thank you for uh, inviting me to the show. I'd like to always start off with my dad. He was a, he grew up on a farm in Ohio, and during World War I, he would actually run a team of plow horses oh, wow. using Morgan horses. Oh. Yeah. And he was too young for World War I, too old for World War II. My mom, on the other hand, she was a city slicker from Rochester, New York, <laughs> and she just assumed everything comes from the store until my dad showed her how to make butter. Oh, wow. And but for my experience, um, a family of six, my parents and my siblings, ages 14 down to three, I was the three-year-old, we moved to Benson, Arizona, north of Benson, actually Palmarine, Arizona. And this is in July 1965, and we came up to five acres of desert. Okay, so mesquite trees, cactus, and rattlesnakes. Wow. <laughs> and then over the years, we turned it into a five acre farm. Of We put in an irrigation well, 515 wow. feet deep that we had to drill down. We put in alfalfa, we put in sudan grass and corn and lots of weeds. But we also <laughs> had uh, goats, hogs, chickens, and we had a calf every other year that eventually made it to our freezer. So we were essentially subsistence farmers. We lived off the land and went to the store every once in a while, but largely all of our consumption was from the farm. So neat. So you're you're totally embedded in agriculture, and you fit perfect with the USDA and what NAS does. So I think that's awesome. The the other thing I wanted to ask you, so you just told us about your family's history and you're deeply rooted in agriculture, a perfect fit for us in Arizona agriculture. But now we're curious about the history of the USDA. Under what president did it begin and why was he motivated to launch the USDA? Um, 1862, Abraham Lincoln created the 
U.S. Department of Agriculture. So this would have been during the Civil War? During the Civil War, and he called it the People's Department. He, he needed to know information about what was available in our country. Mm. He needed to keep on top of that. But the interesting thing is George Washington was actually our country's first agricultural statistician. When he was president in uh, 1791, he sent out a short questionnaire, five questions to surrounding farmers in the area, asking them about commodity prices, land prices, how many, how much corn they were growing or stuff like that. You He's, even said that he made apologies for the inconvenience of filling out the survey, but he still asked for it. Yes, he, he understood that it takes time to answer these questions, but he knew that it was important to have this information to determine what's the supply of food out here. And I would imagine then, you know, moving forward, then it's Lincoln's presidency, it's during the war, it's a very volatile time in our country. He needed to know food availability. Was that, that basically what of it, part of his motivation? Yeah, definitely. You need food as a major contributor to everyday life, obviously. And so when you're during a civil war or battles like this, they need to know logistically, where's the food coming from? Is it available? Do we have it? it so yeah, that's one part that you never read about in the history books. Did they say, all right, we're going to go fight over here because we got more food over here <laughs> and we can supply our troops better over here than opposed to taking this route over this side of the mountain? Yeah, it's all about logistics, definitely. And so when he commissioned it, about a year later, you had those first statistics. Yeah, June... 1863 was our first ever crop production report that told about what the supply or what the acreage of various commodities was. So, and then fast forward to today, over the years, I'm sure there's additional things that have been added to the USDA and what had to take place. And really the statistical aspect of the USDA has always been front and center, obviously, from what you just told us. But what's changed? I mean, well, just for agriculture, how it's changed in the 18th century, so late 1700s, the producers near the waterways were the only ones that could trade. Anybody that was inland too far, they were basically subsistence farmers. They weren't really able to trade their commodities because they had no way of getting them getting to where them they needed elsewhere. to go. Um, by 1840, which was the first year our census of agriculture was conducted in 26 states, just over the over half of the U.S. population were farmers. Okay. And that statistic came from the census of agriculture. Okay. Um, by 1920, less than a third of the population we're farmers. Currently, wow. currently, we're sitting at around 2%. 2% of the U.S. population are producers of food for the country and for the world. And ironically, we're producing more than we ever have before because of advances and improvements, right? Right. Well, right. Uh, if I use the same time frames back in the late 1700s, they used wooden plows pulled by oxen. By the 1840s, factory-made steel plows were available. By the 1920s, 
we were largely mechanized. And uh, today, we've got automation, we've got precision agriculture, we're using drones, we're using robots. It's just very advanced. The USDA has also evolved similarly. They created programs that promoted agriculture, regulated agriculture, or assisted agriculture. And the very first act was the Meat Inspection Act around 1890. So most people are familiar with that purple USDA stamp on meat. Right. And it was official. This has been inspected. It is safe to consume. Basically, it, it was a stamp of approval. So, so cool. they keep the tainted meat out of the supply. The first farm bill was 1933. And throughout all this evolution, it still remains the people's department. Wow. So what, you know, there that's a lot. And a lot has changed over the decades. But what do you think is the most significant contribution USDA NAS, just your role in the statistical arena, gathering those uh, numbers, what do you think is the most significant contribution it's made to American Ag? Well, what we do is we measure virtually all the supply aspects of the ag industry. Okay. We don't measure demand. We're just the supply side of the, the economic equation, you know, supply and demand. And what we really do is we level the playing field for everyone. Okay. We, we, we produce the acreage yield production value numbers, basically the supply of food and fiber that's available. And this type of information makes markets run more efficiently. Okay. Where everybody has the same knowledge, you don't get people exploiting others because of their ignorance – it's all out there for me. I can ha- I have complete access to all the numbers that you guys are gathering for agriculture. Yes. And that's why I call you the numbers guy and love to, to bug you for interesting and different statistics all the time. Even though I'm not really a numbers person like a Romy. <laughs> so in, in your role, what has fascinated you the most then about gathering and aggregating all this, these statistics? I mean, were you a math major when you <laughs> Actually, I was ag econ major. Okay. So, so yeah. Ag economics. Yeah, there was math. Pretty much. <laughs> but I wasn't a statistics guru, definitely, but right. the ag economics. What fascinates me the most and what people know probably the least about is our lockup procedures. Yeah, I want to hear about this. When we do a crop production report, um, there are... Some crops, the big crops, corn, wheat, cotton, where we have speculative states. There are the five or six big states. We, when, when, when I was in headquarters, I was the cotton stat for two years. And when the, when the recommendations of, let's say, planted acreage come into the state or okay. into headquarters, the, the five speculative states were not known. Okay. Hmm. The recommendations until we went into lockup the night before the release. And when I say lockup, I'm literally serious. It's lockup. You are behind locked doors with a police officer outside, and you're not allowed to leave that room 
until the release has been released to the public. And you have no cell phone. You have no more Apple Watches. They're taken away from you. You have no access to the outside world. And again, the reason for that is this whole concept of a level playing field. You want to release it simultaneously, evenly across all channels. Right. right? And, and the, the fascinating story about cotton was um, they had blinds on the windows and the story was in the 1930s that one of the stats had a partner down there on the street. And when he found out what the numbers were, whether it was a high crop or a low crop, he'd move the, the, the blinds, blinds up. either up <laughs> or down. And it was a signal to that guy before the release came out Ooh. where he could take action with that information. So it was Well, kinda... they found that out. And now every time... It, it's all on one floor of the building. They lock, wire, secure all the blinds the day before lockup so that that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, it, it's really fascinating to see what we go through to keep it quiet. <laughs> Very interesting conversation this morning with Julie Murphy of the Arizona Farm Bureau and David DeWalt with the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Natural, uh, National Agricultural Statistics Service. And you were talking about lockups as we were going to the break. And this is something I, I wasn't really familiar with. You've been involved in 50 lockups over seven years. And uh, again, what is the purpose of this lockup? Okay, I was in the headquarters and where is headquarters? Uh, Washington, D.C., okay. from, from 1997 to 2004. For five years, I was the citrus statistician. So Florida, being the big citrus state at that time, they were known as a speculative state, which means they had a high impact on the numbers for citrus production. So California, Arizona, and Texas, they submitted their citrus estimates probably two or three days earlier. But Florida, we didn't get to see those recommendations from the Florida office until after we were in lockup. And again, that would be because they had such a large impact because yes. they were so high in their production. Okay. Right. And it's similar with uh, cotton. You got Texas, Mississippi, Arkansas, big cotton producer. Corn was the same. Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, big. Those are the speculative states. With so, the big numbers right. that will have a big impact with any of our commodity right. b- traders, and they want to know that once Texas comes in with their cotton stats. Okay, this yeah. helps. And me. we, it's just an extra level of security, so n- no information goes out prematurely. And um, am I understanding this right? And I, I didn't think of it till we started on the programming, but. There was a movie with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd where they bankrupt <laughs> these big Wall Street billionaires using this. They, they, they got the lockup information yes, the, ahead of time. The guy that was carrying the briefcase, mm-hmm. that was me for five years. Okay. I had, wow. I had, you I had no relationships with a gorilla, though. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> you may have inspired that move. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> Romy would know this. Mr. It was Beaks, right? Mr. Beaks? Mr. I can't even remember yes. the name of the movie. Oh, yes. Oh, oh. I, Trading Places. Trading okay. Places. Oh, oh great movie. Oh, that's going to make me go back to that movie and watch it. So um, 
fascinating stuff here. We don't realize how important the numbers are. Thanks to Lincoln, he created the People's Department. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, this was several years ago. I don't know how many years we've been doing this. I wanted some kind of graphic that would highlight our top commodities, and I knew my numbers guy, Dave DeWalt, was the one to do it. And because we formed it into, quote, unquote, a pie chart, and every year, Dave, you assess – because they come out. They come out in September, about August, September. And then we'll have a new pie pie chart of what I like to say the top 16 commodities. They could be the top 20, but then my pie slices would be really small. So if you go to Friends of Arizona Farm Bureau, our our, uh, Facebook page, you can pop that up and you can see them all. But – like uh, cattle calves, seven hundred fifty-four million in this latest cycle. Now, and these are from twenty twenty-one because you guys are still aggregating the twenty twenty-two numbers, right. and it's just a fascinating run. And if people look at our pie chart, you know, it it's the entire mix of all of our fruits and vegetables and protein meat and dairy. And so the critical point here, and when you look at the wheel and you aggregate it, guess what, everyone? It's mostly fruits and vegetables. It's kind of representative of the USDA plate, right? Or what do they call that when, you know, you need this many vegetables, you need this, your dairy and your protein. Mm. I think it, that plate comes from It used from to your, be the food pyramid. Yeah, but thank you. That changed yeah, to the but I plate, think, I think. Yeah, it's the plate. So um, – this uh, 16 top commodities in Arizona agriculture highlight how we are truly a nutrition state. And there was you and I um, in between breaks or actually prior to the show, you were talking about our top two in that pie chart and what it represents. Right. The, the, the last six or seven years, the cattle industry and the dairy industry have been the top two actually – they represent about 40% of Arizona's cash receipts. Uh, one thing I need to point out is our cash receipts are the USDA, but it's from the Economic Research Service. Okay. They manipulate some of the data. Okay. Very good. <clears throat> David DeWalt from the, I don't know, it, it's a, for the people, but it's a government agency, so it's, it's a very long. United States Department of Ag- Agriculture's National Agricultural Statistics Service. Did I get that all right? Yes, sir. (laughs) Hello, I am Victor Kristic. I am the CFO and founder of Affordable GPS Tracking. You're listening to Rosie on a House. On this beautiful Saturday morning, I think this is the first time we've had a statistician in the Farm Fresh Hour. Did I? You said that right. Let's get into the what is the census then, and and how was that performed? Because that uh, that seems that's like a whole other process in and of itself. Aside from this lockup situation that we've right. gone through, right? So he's going to get into the census of ag, but I want before we launch into that because it's a good segue to the census. Um, what fascinates you the most about Arizona ag? Because once we start talking about the census, I think. It'll highlight some of the neat things that are unique to Arizona agriculture. Well, some of the unique items in Arizona are are high-yielding crops. 
Um, alfalfa is a great example. Arizona is number one in the yield of alfalfa per acre, something between eight, eight and a half tons per acre, where the U.S. average is three, three and a half tons per acre. And you see this year to year because oh, you yes. crunch we're the numbers. Very consistent. It's usually between eight. We, we're able to get 10, 11 cuttings per year on alfalfa. And when I was in Idaho, when I first started 36 years ago, um, July, they would be on their second cutting. And if they got four cuttings a year, that was lucky. Right. They usually get two or three, maybe four. But Arizona, nine, 10. That's why we're a high yielding state. And, and it's also similar with Durham wheat. We, we grow desert Durham here and we get 100 bushel an acre. In the Dakotas, where most of the wheat is grown, they're happy if they get 40. Wow. 45, 50. So, so that's high a, yielding crops. Yeah. And that's a good segue to then the census of ag. So we have our general population census that takes place every 10 years, but the, but the ag census is every five years, and it's real critical. Why? Well, first I'd like to explain we have two programs. I've been talking mainly about our annual estimating program, which is your major crops that we measure acreage yield production. We do it every year, every month quite different than what the census of agriculture which is done once every five years and the annual program estimates are based on a sampling of the farming population okay whereas the census of agriculture is a census we sent out a questionnaire to every known producer in the united states that was over two million questionnaires that we sent out in December. Okay. And I remember because we promoted it a lot with our farmers, just like, heads up, get prepared. It's time to share your census or your ag information. So part of what census does is it fills in the what's missing from the annual estimating program because a lot of the minor crops, like in Arizona, grape estimates, they're only going to come from census of agriculture. Uh, onions, potatoes, they used to be in our annual estimating program, but they got so small relative to the rest of the country that we were dropped from the program. But the census will pick it up. So at least we have something about onions, potatoes every five years. But not annually because the production level isn't as high as it used to be. Correct. And so census, we're able to produce statistics at the county level. Virtually every county in the United States will have some statistics about the agriculture in that county. We're not able to do that with our annual estimating program. Um, it, it's just such a comprehensive set of data. We're talking about demographics also. It's a lot about the people that are Producing in agriculture. in agriculture. So cool. Dave, I have a question on that. In this census, and you're determining who is in agriculture and who isn't, what's the definition of in agriculture? Aunt Sylvia in Nebraska on a three-acre garden. 
Okay. Are, are, how, what's what's the what's, what's the, the baseline? Well, right. Yeah. How, how do you decide who is our the USDA USDA definition of a farm is the selling of at least a thousand dollars worth of commodities oh. or the potential to sell a thousand dollars worth oh. over uh, and this, a year. Yes, over a month, an, annually, or, annually, yeah. and and this definition has been around since 1974. So the baseline's kind of. The threshold, in my I think, perspective, is kind of low. I, mean, I, I was going to say, since 1974, and with everything that's happened, I mean, $1,000 potentially, you'd do with one orange tree. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is true. I, we got to be careful here. If we were to use today's dollars for that 1000 it would be about $5,000. Okay. But if we were to change the... Definition of a farm, which requires Congress to do. Okay. We would lose, I think West Virginia would lose 70% of their producers. Wow. Texas would lose 70% of their producers. And that's not a good that's image not, for them. Yeah. So there's really no interest in changing the definition. In some ways, it's not fair either because farming is farming and we need to assess everything that's out there because that's the beauty and diversity of it. Right. right. Okay. So this census of agriculture, we're now in the thick of another one. And when will the American public get to see these numbers? Uh, it's scheduled for release in January, February of 2024. So we're not even quite a year away from that then. Correct. Yeah. Uh, like I said, we, we um, sent out the questionnaires December. We're in the collection phase right now. And we, we put a due date of February 6th on the questionnaire. And ideally, if everybody went to their computer, put in their survey code, and completed it, we could easily get it done by February 6th. Right. But, you know, some people don't have internet access. Some producers don't. Um, some wait for their taxes to be done because – some of the information in the questionnaire has to do with expenses. Right. So they'll wait until March, maybe April. So we'll be collecting data, I would say, at least through April, if not maybe into May. So when you're gathering all that day, data, it's crunch time for you guys. <laughs> uh, yes. Over the, the next five or six months, we will be analyzing the data, seeing if there's any busts in the data. Um, we'll probably have to make some callbacks to some of the producers because we don't understand exactly what is going on. Something doesn't make sense. So you have uh, to quantify it, qualify that, and right. give them a call. And then the publication, I don't know, just Arizona's publication is almost 500 pages of numbers, and the font size is about six. Whoa. Because <laughs> <laughs> we it's comprehensive, and we slice it and dice the data in so many different ways. You can imagine what the, the U.S. release looks like. And, and one of the biggest challenges we have is making sure that we don't divulge the identity of, your farmers of, any, of any producer, like a big chicken farmer right <laughs> you want to report the data but you don't want because you're respecting their anonymity right i mean if you put a number out there on paper and and somebody can say 
I know who that is. <laughs> uh, we 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 we've gone to the point where we can't even publish some numbers other than combining it with another state or just having a U.S. number because just to protect so the entity, yeah. the identity. And and that's the other thing. And Romy, it kind of answers some of your curiosity with the census of agriculture. In Arizona, we have some unique stories to tell. Uh, we have the largest number of female farmers listed as primary owners, and everybody goes, really? Why is that? Well, our Native American uh, population represents this because a lot of the uh, Native American tribes are uh, matriarchal, so in especially your Hopi and Navajo, the, the woman, she's the one that owns that land and is running the farm. Oh, so yeah. I am so excited about that. I think our uh, heritage and some of the uniquenesses. But what else in the Arizona census is kind of unique? Certainly that's one of them. And maybe our American Indian population, because it's large and it really pops those numbers up because we have so many uh, subsistence farms on the tribal lands. Uh, they're growing their own food like your family did. Yes, um I'd like to back up just a little bit. Before 2007 census, right, we, right. we did not count individual American Indian producers. It was a one nation, one farm count. total. Yeah. So we only had to contact and get one questionnaire filled out for the whole tribe. But in two, and, and so Indian country thought that they were being underrepresented. Correct, yeah. With the numbers. So we were mandated to count every individual producer. So before 2007, Arizona number of farms was in the 8,000 range, 8,000 mm -hmm. farms. But in 2007, when we started counting individual Native American producers, it jumped to 15,000. Almost doubled. In wow. 2012, mm -hmm. it went to 20,000. And this last one, 217, we're at about 19,000. So, and like Julie said, a lot of them are female producers. Right. And you can see that in our county numbers, Apache County, Navajo County, Coconino County, where Navajo and Hopi are, mm -hmm. it's up to like 70% yeah, are female producers. It's a really... And it's quite different than the rest of the country. It's a really neat representation of the diversity and breadth and depth of agriculture in Arizona. That's what fascinates me. And when you compile this, and so we'll expect something in 2024, but this is crunch time for you. How are you guys handling this? How do you manage it all? Well, we... <laughs> come to work every day and we put our nose to the grindstone and handle um, it one day at a time it's and, like eating an yes, elephant one bite at a time that's <laughs> more or less it um it, it takes a lot of effort hours <laughs> blood sweat and tears to uh, to get through it all and we, we got a group great group of people I, uh, one thing about nas is we're a small agency compared to uh, Farm Service Administration or NRCS. So mm -hmm. We we have less than a thousand personnel. Really? Yes. Whoa. Or 
850 range. And that's across the Across the whole country. States. That, right. Okay. So, in, in fact, in Arizona, we only have two people. Okay. Myself <laughs> and my uh, coordinator. Okay. But we're, we're in regional. We're, we're regional office. Denver is our mini headquarters, I'll call it. We got the four corner states, Wyoming and Montana. That is one region. Geographically, it's the largest region in in the United States. We have 12 regional offices, but there's more employees in Denver, like 30 or so, and then two in each of the satellite offices because okay. we we demanded that we have state representation in each office okay. or each state. You know, when you connect with the public and they find out what you do and you uh, say, I'm, USD, I'm with USDA NAS, what's, what is the common question you find yourself answering most when you're connecting with the and, public? And we'll give you four minutes to think about it because <laughs> of all the things we can do here, we can't stop the clock. Hang tight. All right, as we were going to the break, Julie had, was just asking Mr. Dave DeWalt, what do, what's the first question or the most common question you get after you explain to somebody what it is you do? Well, back to what you mentioned earlier, that movie, that I, I, people that are not in agriculture, I tell them, remember that movie, 1984? So I try to explain what I do, and, and I tell them the food is – just there. It's in the store. But I asked them, well, how much food is available? They don't really seem to care as long as it's there. there well, I'm yeah. the guy that tells the country how much food and fiber is available to put in that store. So cool. Now, for people involved with agriculture, Julie asked me questions mainly about how much citrus was produced last year or how many how many acres of cotton were planted in Pinal County or stuff that she knows is relative to the agriculture in Arizona. And some of the requests are a little more obscure and I can't answer them, mainly like uh, how much is exported. Right. And where are they exported? Well, I don't have the answers for that. <laughs> I, I only know the supply of what's available, and how it's distributed is someone else's question. Right. For, foreign ag service for the exports. Right. Exactly. And every few years, y'all update the Arizona Agricultural Wheel, and it's a breakdown of all the major commodities. A couple interesting things on there I wanted to ask Dave about is we've got uh, five of them on there that I would think could just all fall into one. You've got cabbage is, is its own at $56 million. Romaine lettuce at two hundred ninety million, head lettuce at two hundred seventy-three million, leafy lettuce at hundred and twenty-three million, and spinach. Couldn't you just put that all at salad? Say here's salad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we probably could. Um, I just want to point out that we do make individual estimates for those major salad ingredients. I mean, there are other commodities that we don't make estimates for that could be in that salad, like kale. Yeah. We don't have kale estimates yet. Arugula, no, we don't have that. Uh, what would make you do the estimates? The increase in production? The uh, supply? Um, 
after the census, we do a review of all the information that we got, and we may drop some commodities from an estimating program in whatever state, depending on what the results of the census of ag. We try to cover at least 90%, I think. Wow. And that's why California may be the only state that produces, that that estimates um, a commodity, like pistachios. Right. Arizona grows pistachios, but we're so small compared to California, California. they probably represent 98, 99% of the pistachios grown in the state. Well, spe- it- speaking of that, you do have, you had mentioned in the, on the break about pecans and dates, they weren't always on my top 16. So what's happened? Yes. Over the last five, six years, dates came into our estimating program. Before 217, actually 216, dates weren't involved because okay. California was believed to have all the dates. Well, we proved that Arizona has a third of the acreage. Wow. So we were added to the estimating program. It took 10 years for us to get it added, but we finally got it added. And so they've really come up. They're in the top 10 now yep. of uh, cash receipts. And pecans are, are expanding in Arizona down in Cochise County tremendously. Yeah. So and- what's been wildly entertaining for me is when every year you give me the new numbers representing the latest and some crops have have fallen out of my ag commodity will that I promote throughout the year. That some have fallen out, and some have popped in there. This current wheel doesn't even have citrus. No, not, and, not like lemon, orange, grapefruit, all those combined. Not even one citrus, right. which was a founding uh, foundation. You know, like, the, five the five C's. C's. Yeah, and and since I've been bugging Dave to help me with this because he he annually gets my harassed harassment email saying, Hey Dave, I want my new numbers. We had citrus, we had lemons, so it's fallen out and maybe it'll come back. Who knows? But what's so fascinating is there is a little bit distinction. And even the two top commodities you were talking about are dairy and beef. Well, one year dairy's at the top, the next year beef's at the top. And a lot of it has to do with the value of like in the case of dairy a lot of it has to do with the prices. Yeah. Um, the the production of milk is relatively stable over the last five, six, right. seven years. But well, the prices have gone up. Yo-yoed, yeah. if you will. Right, or yo-yoed. And they're on the high trend right now. So I would expect them to be up on top of cattle. But well, it I depends think our on cattle prices. Biggest too. takeaway today, Julie, is we got to have Dave DeWalt back from the USDA. We do. Uh, Julie Murphy, the Arizona Farm Bureau. We look forward to seeing you next Saturday, I mean next month in May, talking Arizona beef.